Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty, The Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project and your host for this podcast. You guys, out of everything that I get to create for this project, this part is my favorite. There's just nothing like the experience that I've had sitting down with women, what most would consider to be ordinary women, and inviting them to a space that welcomes all of who they are. These women in these interviews, they are so raw and so vulnerable and so honest, and they are anything but ordinary. They respond to the invitation that I offer by sharing the parts of them that they normally hide from the world, and that is just such a gift. It's a gift that I get to share with all of you. Today's interview is with Delia, a woman who has demonstrated seemingly endless supplies of resilience throughout her life. I know this because I've been her friend for most of her life. Delia grew up with a white mom and a black dad in the 1980s. She lost her dad when she was in fourth grade and had to discover a way to navigate a world of always feeling like she was in between. She was in between a black identity and a white identity in between belonging to either world completely. She talks about finding a way to belong in her peer group as one of only three people of color in her grade school. And she is brutally honest about her relationship with her body, about how far she's come and about how far she has to go before she can actually find a place of peace. Which is actually the perfect way to describe this interview, brutally honest, because that's just who Delia is, who she's always been. How about you drop in with me and come meet this resilient wonder, this master of transformation. What she has to say is definitely worth your time. Cheers to your new job. Oh, yes. Among other things in your life. This is my friend Delia. And Delia and I go back um, 100 years at least to kindergarten. (laughs) And uh, we will talk a little bit about that in our time together. And the reason why I know we will talk about that is because this would be the second time that my girl Delia has recorded <laughs> this podcast. So um, I, I talk about it a lot, but I'm not an actual podcaster, technically. So when Delia and I decided to do an interview, she was like, hey, let's go to some place where I can just get comfortable. And so we went to this great little um, tea and wine lounge Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We were all alone. We, like, the woman unlocked the door. We were alone. Yeah, we were and VIP. some woman comes into this establishment and she just starts screaming in the background. I mean, listen, she was trying to steal our thunder. She was. 45 minutes Mm -hmm. of this woman screaming in the background. And because I am an amateur podcaster, I could do nothing about the fact that uh, the entire interview is like Delia running at one track and then the background screamer running behind her. Trying to steal my thunder. Correct. Yeah. So we've done this once, which means that you're just going to get some pretty amazing awesomeness. In the next 45 minutes. So Delia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Me too. So, and I actually have done a few interviews since we talked, so I have sort of a, like a, a flow going now. Great. Well, I'll try to keep up. It's okay. It's very similar to <laughs> I act like it's a new flow. It's like the same one. Listen, I don't even remember what I did this morning. Okay, so you there's really no idea what we did last time. Okay. So generally I start with a question about the moment when you knew your body was different from other bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I do this because, especially for women, it tends to be uh, usually a pretty distinct memory. 
It's often a painful memory and it's um, usually accompanied by some message about either beauty or your body shape or size mm-hmm. or just your general physical impression on the world. And so I like to start with that question. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. yours, the stage is yours, the microphone is yours. Tell me about the first time that you knew your body was different from other bodies. Yeah, so, wow. It's it's interesting because since it's a podcast, you can't see me. Mm-mm. But um, a well-known secret is that I am brown. Yes, you are. Yeah, I am my brown skin, as India already says. And my mom is white, blonde hair, hazel eyes, everything that you would think of as a tall, blonde, mm-hmm. white woman with this little caramel afro baby with braids right so my father was black he passed away when i was younger and he was really into bowling and he had this idea that i that he thought i should be a bowler well i mean i'm not the most athletic person in the world but i thought okay i can bowl i'm i think i was probably like seven or eight years old and he got me all this gear, right? My own ball with my name on it and all these things. And so he, I bring this form home and it's for this 4-H bowling team. And my mom, I say, I'm going to fill this out. So I fill this out with my pencil, my fat pencil, I'm sure. And um, you remember those? Oh, I loved them. I got <laughs> mad at John O'Hearn once in kindergarten because he had skinny pencils and I had fat pencils and I just thought he was totally breaking the rules. But anyway, I digress. So I bring this form home and I fill this out. And in the part where it says your race, I put that I'm Caucasian. Mm. And she's like Mm. looking it over and she gets to that part and she's like, oh, honey, no, no. And I'm like, what? And so she has to explain to me that I'm not white, right? Because you look at your mom and you're like, this is what I look like, right? Because you don't see what other people see because you just see yourself and your mom. Yep. So I remember going up to my room and I had this dresser that was like that fake veneer wood mm-hmm. with like the gold applique because it was 1985. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I look in the mirror next to my Smurf statues and my cat lamp and I'm staring at myself. And remember, I had this really big hair and it was natural and it was long and it was thick and my sisters used to beat me with this black comb <laughs> to get them to get me to let them comb my hair and my mom would wrangle my hair into these pigtails and they had these multicolored bobbles yeah. remember from the 80s I do. yeah the plastic yeah these yeah. bobbles and then they would be this crazy big fat braid and then they would be held together with a wing and a prayer and a plastic barrette and mm-hmm. they never matched And I remember standing in the mirror and I noticed that my nose was wider than hers and my lips were bigger and my hair was nuts. It was black and curly and frizzy and rough and coarse and super long. And when my hair was not wrangled in those ponytails, it was so wide that it went out past my shoulders Mm -hmm. and down the middle of my back. And I remember seeing myself for the first time. And for me, it was like, well, where have I been? Mm. Why don't I see, why didn't I see this before? It was like somebody took my glasses off and Mm. I kind of rubbed my eyes, put my glasses back on and the world was a little bit brighter. So, you know, that was the moment that I remember 
being different and looking different. And then, of course, as we get into today, I'm sure we'll talk about how it shaped the way I see myself and the way I compare myself and how others might see me. You said so many things there that are super important to me. So um, I want to start with least important and move to most. So I, uh, it, this project, it's really important to me that I'm intentional about the interviews that I select. I'm not, I'm not completely disinterested in the cisgendered, white, straight, thin person. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not disinterested in that story. There is a story there often that mm-hmm. I discount actually because I've spent most of my life in a fat body, so I always assume that other bodies... Mm-hmm. I'm always on the lookout for the marginalized body. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I don't intend to communicate that I am disinterested in that narrative because I think that's actually part of my own bias. So mm-hmm. I want to say that. But as a result of the fact that I'm really focused in on marginalized bodies, I've already done a disproportionate number of interviews with brown women, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm like... Mm-hmm. The white story is the dominant narrative. I'm like, right. yeah, you know. Right. So, um, the black girl hair thing, mm. I hear it. I've heard it every single time. My I mean, God. So I just had an. Um, I just posted an interview last week with one of the models from the Beautiful Project, and she's growing her hair out for the first time. And mm-hmm. she was like, she talked about being a child and how Sundays. Like, she would sit in a chair with a hot comb, and her mom would just singe her scalp, and her hair would be straight for the entire week. Mm-hmm. And how this long, flowing, straight hair, the European standard, yeah. was like, it was a sign of, um, there was virtue in that. Absolutely. So, it, well, let me ask a couple of questions. The first is, you would say that that is a similar experience for you, that the black girl hair thing is mm-hmm. like a thing. So, listen, here's the, the craziness of that for me, as a mixed girl, I have mixed girl hair. Oh. It's a whole other facet of this phenomena, right? Right. So I have, and there's, okay, let me just back up. My children are mixed as well. Yep. And they have white girl hair. Oh, they do, yeah. And so they, I have said to them many a time, you don't know how lucky you are. Oh. I know. Did I just blow your mind? So let me just... Lucky re- because they have white girl hair. Yes. Oh, God. Okay. I know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So my hair, I, I am mixed. And so my hair is a mixture of black hair and white hair. And so what's crazy about it is I can straighten my hair to a way that the texture feels like your hair. Mm-hmm. It might be shiny like your hair. It may lay like your hair. Or... I cannot straighten it, and my hair can be as coarse or kinky as the next girl. But there is a difference between a woman who is 100% black Mm -hmm. and me who's mixed. My hair will never compare. And let me tell you, there are amazing, beautiful, full heads of natural hair that I will never be able to achieve Mm. because of the DNA of who I am. Is that is that like being in between sense? Yes. Is that like is that not a metaphor for a lot of it for you, girl? If I could, if I had a nickel for every time I've had someone say to me, "You're not black enough," mm. or "You're trying too hard to fit in with the white," or "You don't sound black," huh. I'm telling you, I would be a millionaire. It's crazy to me. 
but that's just the world I live in, right? So I'm always in that in-between space. And that's okay because I'm comfortable there and I have been there my whole life and I've figured out how to make it work for me. Yeah, you have. Which ultimately is, I think, uh, the resilience piece. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite things about your story, but I don't want to steal all the thunder there. So you said something else that I think is um, to layer on top of that. You said... And you said it quickly, but I want to freeze it. You said, uh, because we see ourselves in our mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves in our mom. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, you know, part of this project is the love letters where women, I want women to write love letters to their daughters' bodies. This is really important to me because there is an instinct in me that tells me that our lineage, these, these stories, these shrinking stories, they're connected to our mamas and it was connected to their mamas Mm -hmm. and we've just been passing them down to each other and as you know I'd like to write a new narrative Mm -hmm. but I would assume there was some grief in the moment of you know you said you rubbed your eyes Mm -hmm. and like the world was a little bit brighter Mm -hmm. so tell me what you did with um the realization that you you still saw yourself in your mom because I noticed you you don't, I mean, you still definitely affirm that. Right. But then what did you do with the fact that you look totally different than she does? You know, it's interesting because, you know, when you grow up in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, movies like Jungle Fever are coming out, right? So it's, oh, sure. it's mainstreaming interracial relationships. I remember a few times when my father was alive, we would go places and people would stare at us. And by the way, my father was like 24 years older than my mother. So there's that whole dynamic, right? Mm. So you've got this 40, late 40-ish man, black man. You've got this late 20s white woman with this wire-haired, <laughs> cupcake t-shirt wearing little girl, right? And and I could only say that, honestly, it was like Rudy from the Huxtables. Like, if you really want to picture what I look like, it's yeah. that. It's yeah. the bun or the, the pigtails. And you see us as a family unit, and people are looking at you like, what? I don't get it. How? How does this work? What's this dynamic? You know, after he was gone, you know, so I'm, I'm left with my mom, and she doesn't look anything like me. And, and I live in a neighborhood where people don't look like me. And I go to a school where people don't look like me, except for three of us. Three. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember. You remember. So it's it's crazy because what do I do with it? You don't do anything with it mm-hmm. because it just is. And you don't really realize it until you are later in life out in the other part of the world where there are more people that look like you. At the end of the day, it's, it's your mom. It's who you love. But your friends are the people you most compare yourself to. Right. Oh, that's that's a wise turn. Yes. Yes. You know? Yep. So you and I were there together and dear Jesus. <laughs> and all the good things that we did. Community service. So much. Collecting for older folks. There's lots of prayer. Lots of hair braiding. I mean, listen, we were it. We were it. We were it. Uh-huh. And you think about our friends and our group of friends, I'm the only brown person. You know, and so it was really hard. I remember watching the early days of BET and MTV, and these girls in the 90s are wearing like these really skinny dresses. And I remember I was like, I need a jean skirt and I need this. And I would put it on, and my silhouette was like, baby got back. Mm -hmm. 
but everyone else wanted to look like Heather Graham in License to Drive. Yeah. God, I miss Corey Haim. <laughs> I mean, but that's neither here nor there. Someone else was recently talking about Kelly, uh, Kelly Kapowski, and I was Thank like, you. I was Lisa Turtle. <laughs> you were Lisa Turtle. I was Lisa Turtle. Girl, I just made, I just had a moment. You remember? I remember Lisa Turtle. But that's really, if you want to think about, like, what does that dynamic look like, think about Saved by the Bell. She's mm-hmm. the one brown girl in the school. Yeah. She's a little bit off to the side. Yeah. She's the funny one. Mm-hmm. She's all these different things. And those were all the things that I was trying to be or kind of growing to be. But it's really hard when your body is totally different. Like, I'm just built differently. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was tough. Mm-hmm. It was tough. So... Uh, I want to, before we move completely into school, so you, because uh, I do want to get there, um, but I want to pause for just a moment because you said it. So you said once my dad was gone and I mm-hmm. and I didn't look anything like my mom. Yeah. So I would assume that in, in that experience among all of the things that you lost mm-hmm. when you lost him, that there, um, there had to be some groping for identity in the absence of... Mm-hmm. of a black presence mm-hmm. in your life or yeah so what's interesting is I've never really had that oh and how it's, old were you when he died uh 10 10 fourth grade fourth grade yeah right. okay and I'm not gonna cry or you are I'm totally not okay. um you know it's interesting because my our family dynamic is really different my sisters are black um you know, so but they were so much older than me. Yeah. So they were moving on with their lives, moving out, getting married, having children in other parts of the country. Yeah. So it wasn't even like I had that around me. Um, it's interesting though. I've just always, I've always just identified with my mom's side of the family because that's who was there. Mm. And sure. you know, it's it's hard. I had a cousin once who we were playing, and I think I mentioned this last time we met. I remember her looking up at me and just saying, I would really like you more if you weren't brown. And I'm like, could you pass me the Barbie shoe? Right. Like, (laughs) How fast can we move past that shit? I mean, girl. Right. And I remember kind of looking at her like, well, I don't like your ass anymore. Right. And, and, and it was like one of those things. And so I think you kind of push it back. And I remember thinking later on, maybe like a year or two later, and this was that probably happened when I was probably 11 or 12. So that made her, you know, a few years younger. And I remember thinking, I wonder if other people think that. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also the kind of person that just really tries not to dwell on it. I mean, I'm always the darkest one in the room because that's the life I live. That's my circumstance. That's my environment. And you've always, you just said, you were, I've always been, I've always been. I was, it was my mom's family. Always. So whether or not it's a space of belonging for you, it's a, like the idea of it being a space of belonging for you is almost irrelevant. It is just your life circumstance. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm the first one to admit I'm not black enough to be in certain parts of the city. I'm just not. Right. I stick out like a sore thumb. Right. Um, I, I'm more comfortable assimilating into the white room mm-hmm. because I can play that role. And I know that sounds crazy or 
racist or whatever. It just sounds like it's a game, but it's not. It's I've learned how to be a chameleon. I was going to say, you developed a survival skill. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I've had moments where I've had people slip. Mm. Tell me about some of those. Oh. Listen, we're in a time right now mm. where you just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Or you become more aware. And you got to a point in life where you meet more people and you try to open your circle. But when you get older, you know, you're around people who might be having a couple drinks, whatever. But you don't know the fear of what it feels like to pray to God someone doesn't tell a black joke or drop the N-word while you're standing there. It's hard. Like, it is literally you stand there holding your breath. Mm. And if it, then you're already prepared for if it does happen. Mm -hmm. And you can do one of two things. You can get real hood real fast. Or you can blow it off. And which one's the right way to deal with it? Because either way, there's a stereotype. Right. I was going to say, I don't have an answer. I don't know. There is no right way. So it's happened to me a few times. And sometimes, you know, you do have to stick up for yourself and say, listen, that's not appropriate. I'm not down. I don't get down like that. We don't speak that way in my house. Um, Or you can just ignore it. But then that just makes it okay. Right. Gives permission. But the fear, I, I mean, the fear of meeting new people and not knowing if they're going to say things or how they feel or if they're going to slip, mm-hmm. oh, it's crippling sometimes. So that's like probably present like this. Um, it's like white noise for you. Like it's a hum. That for it, sure. Wow. White noise. Ha. I yeah. mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing too is, so I'm in this profession where I meet people and I work with people and I talk to them on the phone I have a little bit of fear that when I meet them, they won't want to work with me. Wow. Wow. It's always there. It's always, I walk into a, when we travel, if we go through a small town and I have to use the restroom on the road, we won't stop in certain towns or I won't go into the restroom by myself, like to a gas station by myself. Seriously. Because that's life and you never know. I've been in small towns where I've walked into a gas station and the entire store stops and turns and watches my every move. Mm. I mean, I know I'm fine. But. But. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually look more dangerous than I do fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. But do you know what I mean? I mean, it's like. Well, I wish. You, I, I don't know. You don't know. No, I was going to. I mean, I'd love to say yes, I know. I, um, I've watched it happen. You know, yes. I've watched it happen to other people. I've become I've become intentionally sensitive mm-hmm. now because I have to be because I don't know the experience now I know the experience of navigating the world in a fat body I know right. what that means I know what it means for to have people say things and make yeah. assumptions about my physical capability yeah. or how I eat or take care of my body based on the size of my body right um, so I know it from that angle but, but you can change that well. But you know what I mean? Yeah. You have you can control that. You can it let for back, lack of a better word, you can stop being heavy. I can't stop being black. Right. I just can't. Right. Yeah, so you it's a yeah, it's a thing that you carry all the time. Yeah. It will never go away. Hmm. I know I just blew your mind, right? Well, I'm just thinking about what that would 
Well, the only reason, so here's the thing. So um, I, I, I understand that uh, in, well, I think you can probably walk with me on this part. Mm-hmm. So you and I have both done, and I'm jumping to like the body size thing here yeah. too, but let's just, sure. let's just get so, in there. Yeah. Um, so you and I have both spent most of our adult lives doing a million different things to change the size of our bodies, yes. right? I've not just adult life. I've done it my whole life and my yeah. memory of living. I mean, yeah. name the thing. I've done it. Done it. Mm-hmm. I've had um, relative or short-lived success. Success. <laughs> air quotes air for quotes, the yeah. air quotes for the podcast audience. <laughs> for sure. Um, and now I'm 40, and I'm here, and I know things about the way that I treat my body, and I know that I, um, I consistently move it in ways that are joyful and fulfilling to me. And sometimes that's difficult to do, mm-hmm. but I'm still doing that. I know that I'm about 80% of the time making choices about food that are nourishing to me. I'm trying to actually discover a relationship with food instead of a control and manipulation relationship because that's what my whole life has been. I've been afraid of it. And then if I'm not controlling it rigidly, then what will it mean? And the truth is that all of that obsession has led me to this body. Right. And so I've spent a lifetime distracted by my actual purpose in the world because I've been busy counting carbs or calories or things. And so I'm not saying that it's not important to be good to you, you know? So the point I'm trying to get to is that um, I'm not saying that our weight is not able to be manipulated by our behavior. It can. But in a sustainable way, after you've done 20 years of damage to your metabolism by restricting and binging and all the things Mm -hmm. that we've done... Uh, the reality is I sat with an endocrinologist six months ago who told me that it's that the likelihood that I would that I would probably have to live on four to six hundred calories a day for the rest of my life in order to have a normal BMI oh my god in which case I said I don't care then I mean I'm not kidding like I will continue to be well right I'm not living like that no so yes weight can be influenced by our behavior you're right but it is not a it is not a linear if it were linear if it were linear, you and I would both be super thin because that's what we wanted. Truth. That's what we wanted. Truth. Neither one of us are weak-willed human beings. No. We're strong. We're all... We, I mean... Carrying the weight of the world, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just... Um, I, under, I, I am not equating weight and um, race because I understand what you're saying. You're like, I can't... Nothing ever changes about this. I'm always... Always going to be this color regardless. Yes. So I'm not equating the two, but I think it's important as we move to the idea about body size and shape that it, if it were linear or or an equation, I mean, I swear to sweet Christ, if one more person says calories in, calories out, <laughs> I'm going to stab a motherfucker. With a calorie. With a calorie. Because mm-hmm. I have a few. Girl. But not very many because I got to be watching them. Yes. So uh, that's my non-linear weight equation thing, that if it were that simple, we would all be thin. So tell me about, um, so race impacts your notion of belonging. Yeah. I don't want to move over the school thing either, though, because you were, to your point, one of three people in our class <laughs> who was not white. It was not white. You're right. You're right. And, and, and on top of that, we're in a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. A one-section school, well, I was, and then met up with you later in fifth grade-ish. I mean, so literally we're going to school with 60 kids yep. in each class. Yeah. And it, it's so 
crazy. I mean, I remember, I think last time we spoke, we talked about hair, yeah. right? So we were just talking about hair earlier and I have mixed hair, but mixed hair doesn't know that swim class is coming. Mm-hmm. And all of my beautiful white friends with their long blonde hair can throw it in a ponytail with the scrunchie. I go to swim class and I'm floating on my Afro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I get done with this swim class and, you know, by noon, my hair is as big as the doorway mm-hmm. because first of all, I have a white mom who can't braid. <laughs> my sisters don't live there anymore. I'm in this place where I have no idea how to comb my hair, especially in a locker room at the mm. fitness center while I'm trying to get on a bus after being in chlorine and I'm 12 years old. So I get back to school and those were the weeks where you just feel even more different. Never mind the fact that I'm sure everyone was stressing over being in a swimsuit. Right. So let me ask you a question. Was were these were those issues predominant for you over the stressing over body size? Or yeah, was it because all one? Back there I was fly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I didn't care. I was fly. Yeah. I mean, listen, I had a bubble butt, a small waist, yeah. thighs that looked athletic. You know, what I now know as athletic arms, Mm -hmm. but my hair was the issue. Yeah. My hair was as big as a house. It was, could not be tamed. It was a bad cut. It was a series of terrible decisions (laughs) that just took Difficult life choices. Girl, I'm in therapy over my hair. I mean, when you think about it, really, even today, if you and I were to go swimming, mine would be a whole thing. Yeah. You could wrangle your curls with okay. a with yeah. a rubber band. Mm-hmm. No, I can't do that because when it dries, it's going to grow. You know, like those sponges or washcloths mm-hmm. you put in water, yeah, and, they, and they're like a packet, yeah. and then they blow up in the bowl of water. Yeah. That's what my hair does. And so when you don't look like everyone else, or when you have to sit in class for the rest of the day in front of so-and-so, and he's making jokes because he can't see around your big old hair, mm. And you're 12, and you have braces, and you're going through puberty. Now you've got boobs, and you were in a swimsuit this morning. Mm. All of that is you become very different very quickly. How did you compensate for that? Because you mean, didn't, you couldn't have felt like you belonged. So. Listen, I am as funny yeah, as you it are. gets. Yep. I'm so witty and charming. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I, I, I unfortunately am like... So you you know like that there's a whole stereotype of what black women play, what roles they play in yeah. movies, right? Yeah. So think back to the Sex and the City movie where Jennifer Hudson is Carrie Bradshaw's BFF and assistant. Mm-hmm. And she's funny and she wears cute clothes and she shows up at the right time and says the best thing and everyone laughs and then she runs out. Mm. Yep. That's the role you play, right? When yeah. you don't look the same, when you're not as confident, you begin to do other things. And by the way... Now, as an adult, all of that just plays into who I am and why I can do the things I can do with my personality and being a chameleon and trying my best to fit in. But professionally, it's also brought me to places where it gave me the skills I needed to be successful. Totally. I was just going to say that you leverage, yes, you've leveraged all of those skills that you developed to survive in order to succeed. Right. I mean, yep. I do make people laugh. Yeah. Normally, it's like NC-17 rated. Usually, yes. You know, riddled with F-bombs. Riddled. Because it's only funny with an F-bomb. Yeah. No, it's pretty funny. 
but you learn how to kind of take these situations and turn them into humor because not only does it make you feel better, but it disarms you. Yes. So you're not threatened by me. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably why I've been able to do the things I've been able to do professionally because typically I'm not threatening. Mm-hmm. I'm like a ninja. <laughs> I'll take your job. You just won't see it coming. Because you're going to be laughing. <laughs> right. While I take your job. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is the damn truth. Yeah. It's amazing to me when I sit with women um, and all of the things that we do to turn our pain into the thing that makes us like these just extraordinary human beings. We are, I think that, um, now granted I'm biased in this perception, but I think that women have a particular skill for transformation. For sure. I think we um, have just honed this ability to go, oh, that hurt me. Watch me. Watch me use it to live now. Yes. I'm sorry. Did you think that was going to, you know, sink the ship? Yeah. Yeah, you know, most of us do have an unwavering willingness and ability to bounce back. Yeah. And and even if you're in that place in your life where you haven't bounced back yet, mm-hmm. it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Oh, I just got chills. It's yes. coming because yeah. I've been through it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I've said to you before and I've said to others – I've seen failure where I fell so hard I had to tuck and roll. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I was going to get back up. I really didn't. I just, I was in a place where I had lost my identity, my joy, my brain power, my confidence. Like it was gone. I'm like, I just, this is it for me. I've peaked. I'm done. Now I'm just destined to kind of be mediocre in my own book. Right, I'm not looking at what other people think of me at this point. I'm thinking about myself. Sure, I expect more from myself, and I just can't get there. And ironically enough, it took other failures, what we call failing forward, mm-hmm. um, and other women around me to sort of say, "Get off your ass, mm-hmm. get your life together. You're not done yet. Try this thing over here, mm-hmm. and do the thing that you love." and it's amazing how quickly your life can change when you decide you are worthy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done. And I texted uh, my girlfriend today and I said, I'm sitting in a place of gratitude. And it's because I've taken my failures and yeah. I now use them as tools. Yeah. I've watched you do that. I can, I can testify. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, if you catch the Holy Ghost, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not catching anything today. <laughs> Um, I want to spend just a little bit of time about uh, so about body specifically, yeah. Because I've also watched your journey in relationship to um, to that, to the yeah. size of your body, and to how you want it to be different than mm-hmm. it is. And I think that you, I actually think that right now you and I are at different places in this journey. I'm moving into the spot of like. And I understand, because for a long time I was really afraid of this place. Yeah. Where I was like, well, if I just accept it, then I'm just... Right. Something something bad's going to happen. Like the walls fall in. Well, yeah. my theory was is that if I'm this fat and trying this hard, then if I stop trying... I'm going to get fatter. Yeah, you're going to have to... I mean, you're literally going to have to be like my 600-pound life. Seriously. Come get me. Roll me to the car. Right. Yeah. Which is... Um, uh, a, just a really fear-based narrative that has nothing to do with reality, actually. Um, 
And I, th- I think this, but I don't know this for sure, but I think that you're still in a spot of uh, understanding it in like a dualistic way. Like that either I'm trying really hard yeah. or I've given up. Right. And I have abandoned all hopes of wellness and dreams. Well, let me just ask you how many Weight Watchers points are in this glass of wine? I know exactly how many are in that glass of wine. You're talking to a girl who just signed up for Weight Watchers. Okay. <laughs> okay? This is where I am at. Eight, the six points actually. Six, damn. Six. <laughs> it's six in the booth. Like a whole bottle no. six? It's usually, in a Moscato, it's four or six. It oh, depends. Lord Jesus. Okay, thank God there's extra points for the week. Listen, I'm in this space where I can't seem to figure out how to do it all. Yeah. I can't be a professional woman. I can't be a wife. I can't be a mom. And I can't be fit as hell. Mm-hmm. I'm either fit as hell and everything else is a mess or I'm all those other things and my body's a mess. So it's crazy. I had every interview I've done today, and I've done a long, a lot of them, um, the ones that we really got into body, we all came to the same conclusion, and it's that the uh, the the beauty or body goal that we've been given is only attainable when it is our entire life. Oh my God. That's the only way we get to it. My soul just opened up. Right? So I would like to propose that, and I don't know exactly who or what or where, nor do I give a flying fuck about where it came from, Yeah. but I would like to propose that any narrative that then that makes me obsessed in a literal self-perpetuating circle, because if, so say I get there, because I've actually gotten there. Yeah. I've gotten to the body that I wanted. Right. Ask me what it took to sustain it. Oh, I mean. Everything. Every single thing. And then if you trip once, it's all out the window. I'm a failure. <laughs> right. Right. Explosion. So, yes. you know, it's interesting that you said that because I am getting there, right? Mm-hmm. I've decided and realized over the last five or six months, because my life has changed a lot, even over the past month or two, I've decided that I don't need to be thin anymore. Mm-hmm. I need to be happy. Mm. But I'm not happy at this size because it doesn't feel good. I get that. Girl, my foot hurts. I get that. No, I My do. knee is a mess. Yeah. My back is aching. Mm-hmm. I know it's because I need to lose weight. Not because I need to be thin, but because my body just can't hold it. Sure. And so I've decided that I have to do the things that make me happier and healthier in terms of the foods that I eat. Do I love me some pizza? Yes. Did I just eat Chick-fil-A on the way here? Some nuggets because I was throwing them down my throat like a madman? Absolutely. (laughs) But it's all about balance. Like I just can't eat like a toddler Mm -hmm. in a pantry who's drunk. Like I just can't do it. It's not okay. It's on so many levels. It's not okay. But my body just can't respond the way it used to. So the way that I now look at body image, I don't need to be... I don't need to look like Jennifer Aniston. Mm-hmm. I know that was a really old reference, but you got no, it. No, I got it. Because I used to, I still look at a, it. She can rock a pair of jeans. Oh, she looks good. She can rock some jeans. She looks good. I want to rock some jeans. Right. Right? And if that means I look like Angela Bassett, right. bring it on. <laughs> right, right. If I need to look like Monique, mm-hmm. bring it on. Mm-hmm. So I just want to be in a place where I am happy and healthy and I can do the things I want to do. I ridiculously decided to sign up for the half marathon. I saw that. I don't know what happened. I might have been drunk. I might have blacked out. I don't know. Can you drunk dial a race registration? 
Does that happen? Does yes. that, is that a thing? Oh, it's definitely a thing. I did that thing. Yeah. And then I was like, $40? What's $40? Yeah. So I did it. And now I'm like scared to death, but my body right now can't do that. So right. even by training for that, I'll get my body into a place where it's got better endurance. I can walk. I can run. I can do whatever to get through that race. But I have to be in a place where I'm healthier and I'm happier and I'm setting a better example. Yeah, I understand that too. And I think that's where I'm at with it. Good. You know? I want I want for all women, I want us to be in a place with some forgiveness and grace because I really believe that the um, that chasing the outcome is the thing that keeps us locked into a relationship with food and movement Yeah. that uh, keeps us locked in bodies that, that, that we can't breathe in, really. You know, you know? I, I keep seeing this thing on Facebook and all these like fitness threads about don't reward yourself with food you're not a dog Mm. but can I be like can I reward myself with food maybe yeah should I reward myself with better food probably that's where I need to be I don't want I like I told you I was drowning my sorrows in some Chinese food the other day I well, there's a reason that we do that because food is actually designed biochemically to produce yes. serotonin. Absolutely. Like, do you know why? Because our bodies want to live. So we're actually right. literally made to have a positive feedback loop with food. Yes. And w- what we do instead is we put a moral code on it where we fucking shame people yes. over the fact that food makes them feel better. No, it's fucking supposed to. I know. So now that I know that, <laughs> I'm going to eat some Chinese. I'm going to eat some Chinese food. <laughs> right. But no, for real, yeah. if you think about it though, it. If that's my thing, if I'm an emotional eater, and I'm not diagnosed, I'm self-diagnosed. I mean, I'm like Oprah over here. Excuse me. I think I just need to make better choices. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to drown my sorrows in something, go get a watermelon. Mm -hmm. Go get, you know, a bag of vegetables that are delicious. Mm -hmm. Or make zucchini bread, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That's the place I need to be in, and that's the place I'm getting to. I'm no longer obsessed with being bored thin. Like I used to say, if I look like a crackhead, then I'm on my way to my goal. Because mm. that's not fly. Well, besides that, it's not an attainable goal. It's so totally you've totally not. So you've set a goal that, again, will self-perpetuate in a cycle for the rest of your life to right. allow you to just stay in a cycle of. And I honestly, when you think about, it, I don't want my girls to think that. I don't want my girls, no. my daughters, who are gorgeous and fit and beautiful and amazing and the way that they look I'm like one of them said Jada said the other day you know my butt's so big and I was like girl if I had that butt I'd walk around naked all day but do you ever okay this is true of every single woman uh, that I talk to we talk uh, so how old's Jada? 15 okay so our 15 year old body um, I can guarantee that we all said something about how fat our thighs were our butt was too big and so I think that that's kind of my point is that we spend our entire lives moving the bar to places that are not attainable. They're just not. They're not. We don't appreciate where we are. We don't Ever. Have, you know, I, I like to, part of my sort of message when I'm motivating or, or being on my fitness is we need to appreciate the struggle, yeah. but we also have to appreciate the journey. Yeah. And if I was as fat now as I thought I was then, mm. I would be fly, like foin, beautiful, on point, whatever it is you want to call it. But now I'm like, my daughters are 
the most amazing looking human beings. I'm biased clearly because they're my children. They're stunning girls, objectively. They're stunning. They really, they really are. But I also love the fact that their dad is very fitness minded. And yeah. I don't mean fitness like he's trying to lose weight, but he's not. He's never been like that. He mm-hmm. takes the time to just take care of himself. Right. And he uses his weightlifting or whatever to, as an outlet for stress. Where I go to the refrigerator, he goes down to the gym. And that's the shift I think you want to yes. find in yourself. Yes. And I think I I love that, and I don't I don't think we get there by shaming ourselves into it. You know, but shaming it, it comes in so many different ways. You know, do you ever catch yourself looking in the mirror, going, "Ooh, I wish my brows were a little different. Oh, yeah. my teeth aren't straight. Oh, my hair is looking crazy. Or I don't deserve that new shirt because I'm not at the goal mm-hmm. weight." Get it now. Get the shirt now. Yes. And that's it all. It's all form of shame. So now I'm sort of in this place where I told you I'm sitting in gratitude. Now I'm at a place where I don't care what size I am. I deserve to look nice. Yes, you do. And I deserve for people to look at me looking nice. <laughs> yes, you do. I, I interviewed someone today who said um, I she makes jewelry. And yeah. she makes these really beautiful pieces that are statement pieces always. And yeah. she was like, I love it when women wear them because I think we should have attention drawn to ourselves. Yeah. She, I loved it. And she was like so clear about it. Like, no, yeah, pay attention to me. And right. Yeah. And I want my jewelry to signify that we stand in that, in that space. Yeah. I wanted to read something to you. Um, I read it, and I'm probably going to post it, actually. But uh, it's a quote that um, by Naomi Wolf. It says, A culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Mm. Yes. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. Wow. Right? And when I read that, I was like, uh, it was a much more poetic way to say the thing that I say about how this whole self-perpetuating circle that we've kept ourselves in. Yes. Because we are we are oppressors to ourselves in this too. Yes. Because you just said it like you uh, you look in the mirror and you think my eyebrows my teeth I mean again the bar's always moving it's always moving yes. and if we're paying attention to that. Uh, it's pretty easy for us to be distracted from all of the things around us. Absolutely. That we could leverage all those survival skills that we were talking about before mm-hmm. and literally change the world with that with that energy. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the other day I had to go on, a, on an appointment and I caught myself thinking, what if they don't work with me just because I need to lose 40 pounds? Mm. What if they don't work with me because I'm not as attractive as the next person? Mm. Or would I have more clients if I was more attractive? Would I have more clients if my body was smaller? Hmm. Isn't that crazy to think that? Isn't that just ridiculous? When you really break it down, it's ridiculous well, that I would think that. It's, uh, it's, I don't want to put it into a ridiculous category mm-hmm. because it's a narrative that you've, that's been reinforced for you. Yes. Okay, so um, what the only piece that I think we could even put into a category of ridiculous, I'd go with something a little more gentle because that's just my nature, <laughs> right? Is that we don't have to live into that. Right. And and so I caught myself. Good girl. And then it's like, no, I'm just going to go be a boss ass and I'm going to get this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to break through it. And it's really difficult. But then I think about the women who don't have that ability. Yep. Who... who can't say to themselves, 
I am better, I am worthy, I deserve, I'm smart enough, all those things. And maybe that's why I surround myself with women Mm -hmm. who are strong. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm tripping and falling, Mm -hmm. they're already there picking me up. Or when I am feeling like I'm not good enough, they're already piping in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just amazing that I think, how do other women do it who don't have that support? Who don't have that positive you know, friendship or circle or network or energy around them. Those women are the women I think of when I make things for this project, actually, because I talk about how I'm trying to create a chorus of courage. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because um, I know that my single voice is one against this. It's like uh, if I could draw a cartoon, it would be like this megaphone in front of me that's this, it's like a hundred times my size. Yeah. And it's blaring this, like, this one singular message. Yeah. And it's things that have something to do with an obsession about female beauty, you right. know? And I'm trying to say something in response to it, I get lost. But if we have a chorus of courage, I think we get to write a different ending. And that's important to the women who don't, we almost have an obligation because mm-hmm. I, you know, similar to you, I, um, in some ways, I leveraged the things that were painful for me mm-hmm. to uh, fortify my, to galvanize me. Yeah. Honestly, this, I've come to the place for the most part now that this fat body, it seems to actually be the invitation for me to do the exact thing that makes me wake up. Yeah. And so it's, I've allowed it to galvanize me, right? Uh, I think we have an obligation to share that thing that we get from it mm-hmm. with women who don't have the same resource available to them. It's a, it really is incredible. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're 40. I'm not. You're, you're <laughs> right behind me. You are right behind me. I love to just point that out because I literally have a few months left and I'm hanging out. I know on. you do. It's December birthday, yeah? No. August. Uh, August, that's August. right. Yeah, August 16th. You know, I think about as we get older and our careers are growing and Mm -hmm. and we're all sort of in this place where we now have this powerful network and we're able to sort of give it back to each other and in different types of ways and it's really really important for me to have that voice and and be authentic and be true Mm -hmm. I mean to sit here and sort of bare my soul Mm -hmm. it's difficult yeah because I, I do have an armor around me, and it's for a number of different reasons. It's because of the way I grew up, and it's the way that I look, and it's the way that I think I should look that I don't look that way, and it's the size of my body, and it's you know, the failures I've seen or the jobs I've had. And I think about if I can do anything, I want to be able to inspire people to just be their best, Yeah. and even though I'm still striving to get there. And that's the most important piece that I want really people to understand is I haven't arrived. Hmm. I'm not super successful. I'm just real. Yeah. And I'll let you be real with me and I will be real with you and I will cry with you and I will laugh with you. But I will also pick you up and I hope that you'll pick me up too. Which is really uh, probably the most honest definition of success I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Because that is. I hope so. I mean, it's, it's really important to me that we are here for each other because there's no there's no place in my world for anything else. Mm-hmm. Very good. You got anything else for me for the good of the order? The good. Oh, that's my thing. Oh. That is my statement. I didn't know that. I, that is my thing. 
Um, well, for the good of the order, you know, at the end of the day, I love to be in the in-between. Mm. I love to be in the space where I am different because I have used it as a tool and it's given me an opportunity to stand out from everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I like having a little bit of mystery around who I am and then sort of coming in and being quiet and, you know, trying to be in a place where I can impress people with my knowledge or my skills or just my ability to work with people. And that all came from always being the darkest girl in the room Mm -hmm. and owning it and loving it. And there's no better time than now to be a black woman. (laughs) That's the truth. You know? You all are saving the rest of us right this second. We literally saved a few things this year. You have saved a few things this year. And um, I'm really just proud. And I'm proud to be alongside other women who represent themselves and their cultures and the lives and families that they leave and that they live and lead. And I love this project and I hope that it speaks to people in the way that I know that you intend it to. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really kind of proud to be a part of it. And like I've said, ride your coattails. Thank you. <laughs> live in your shadow. No, <laughs> you are casting your own shadow, my friend, which I just adore about you. So thank you for your time. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Delia. I hope you loved your time with her as much as I did. And yes, she really is the kind of person who makes you laugh constantly when you were with her. I've spent a few decades watching in awe as Delia failed so hard she had to tuck and roll, as she puts it. But what I've always been more intrigued by is the fact that Delia always gets up. Always. It's a stunning sight to take in. And I am grateful that she's let me be a witness to it. And I'm even more grateful that now she's invited all of you along for the ride. If you think you might want to hear more stories from women about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about the beautiful project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. See you all soon.